Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another edition. Sam Bruce welcoming in Christy Doran after the completion of the Rugby Championship for 2022, won by New Zealand, uh, I guess quite easily in the end, given the job they did on the Wallabies on Saturday night. Christy, uh, 40 to 14, which was another deflating night for Australian rugby at Eden Park. Is anyone surprised, Sam? I certainly wasn't. <clears throat> it just <clears throat> it just had one of those feelings, didn't it? And and you see the first two minutes and it kind of brought me back. And we were there in 2019, I think, um, at Eden Park and Christian Leifano kicks out in the full end. On this occasion, you see a Jed Holloway break and you go, okay, that's interesting. But then within a matter of moments, uh, the, the big Wallabies and Waratahs lock is sent to the sin bin and it just had that feeling that they were hanging on. Nothing went right for them. They, um, you know, the percentage plays weren't there all, all night, I didn't think. Um, uh, and, and look, I don't think it helped the loss of Lalakai Fiketi early on. And I don't think we can understate that because I thought the the attack was just really shoddy after that. And, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone given that Len Ikatau, a guy that's hardly ever played at inside centre, jumps across and... Jordi Bataille, who's not really played any matches at outside centre in, in recent weeks or months, slots into 13. It just didn't gel at all, the 12-13 partnership. And we could, we're could we going to go on and dissect that more and more. But it, that, that opening 10 minutes, you can't afford those sorts of minor big errors in, in Bledisloe matches, particularly at Eden Park. No, you're right. And and it was an incredible start because Jed goes through, I think, on about 35, 40 seconds. And you think, well, here we go. A bit of field position early, the chance to really apply some pressure. And then he and Harry Wilson get that clean out wrong. And, you know, we won't go too much into it, but the the, the word consistency comes up in terms of the Tyrell Lomax um, clean out, very similar the week before in Melbourne. But it was just, you know, for them to actually start well or have a chance of, of ending this 36-year drought at Eden Park, they really had to start well. And a yellow card inside 90 seconds, uh, it probably doesn't get much worse. Um, of course, that, that gave the All Blacks, you know, the chance to get up the, the other end and apply some pressure themselves. And while the Wallabies did well to uh, just hang on through a couple of um, pushover scrum uh, attempts from five metres out and then a line-out, um, we knew that that pressure and that um, that fatigue, I guess, was going to come into the game a, a little bit later on. And you mentioned the Fichetti injury and um, the All Blacks uh, working a nice move, which had a lot of Joe Schmidt about it, I thought, um, with uh, with Will Jordan just um, hanging on the edge and skipping around the outside of, of Jordan Pattaya to score. And, and it was all going to, always going to be downhill from then. Obviously compounded by Dave Parecki's uh, sin bidding for pulling down the mall and the penalty try. Um, the, the double whammy that is those that are those circumstances as it was with Dalton Papali'i in Melbourne a week earlier. So, yeah, it, it, it was a terrible first half, really. And we hark back, and Dave Rennie, you and I were both on the on the post-match presser around discipline. Um, and I'm just running the numbers this morning. The Wallabies finished up as the second most penalised team uh, with 85 conceded penalties across the tournament. But that was only because the Pumas finished with 22 and 18 the week before. Uh, against South Africa. So um, while they were number two, I think across the whole, and, and they were the only team to be penalised 16 times or more, um, three times during the tournament. So some numbers there that reflect the discipline woes. And also they were the most yellow-carded team of the tournament with eight, with Springboks and and the Pumas on seven. So 
I mean, that, that's got to be top of the list, doesn't it? This this discipline problem. Um, it's been around a while now and, and seemingly not getting any better. Yeah, and, and I I finished off my column yesterday afternoon by using the word accountability and people and players needing to look in the mirror and go, ah, is what they're dishing up, serving up, is that good enough? And things like discipline, things like you know, not deciding to play on quickly from a penalty, um, they're things you can control, oh, I think, a lot of the time. The discipline and stuff, we, we, you know, it's dropping at the knees and the hips, isn't it? And it's, um, it's getting back on side. Oh, look, I thought there was some really tough nitpicking kind of um, penalties there from Andrew Brace. I think if Pete Sama or who gets on the ball, gets the ball and then falls That's over after favorite. that, he's, he's clearly got the ball while standing up. Um and that's straight in front of Andrew Bray. So that you can always find incidents there where you go, mm, that probably shouldn't have been. But on the whole, it's a, it's not just a, a recurring pattern. It's a huge theme under Dave Rennie. It's been ill-disciplined. And it really was also under Michael Checker at times too. Um, it's, it's probably the most simplistic way of keeping yourself in the fight, isn't it? And, you know, the, the scrum went backwards. And that was a really disappointing feature of... of the test match was that both both James Slipper and Angus Bell struggled. Now, was that because of greasy conditions? Was that because it was Lomax there, I think, on the tight head side? Was that he he, he did seem like he was a long way back and they were pinged for occasion, yeah. times? Um, look, well, you, you never really know unless you can see both angles exactly what's going on there. But it's 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 frustrating that a lot of the things that I saw on, on the weekend were controllable things. And in the first half an hour, they had lots of opportunities that they, they did really well to survive that early onslaught when you were, they were down to 14 men. But, you know, Harry Wilson dropping a ball that if he's playing more, when I mean, he's played more test match rugby recently, probably hangs on to that one. That, that could be a first game back situation sort of thing. But that's inside the opposition 22 after 13, 14 minutes. Um, and clearly, you've got a uh, an incident there with Tom Wright playing gone. And for me, I can't understand that. Why there, there, you know, there's two wingers sweeping back there. There's a lot of men around. No one knows that you're playing on quickly. And it's inside the first 30 minutes, that's you just back your rolling ball there, don't you, every day of the week. And then three, Marinka Corabetti, you know, he gets that one wrong by just having his foot on the, the touchline the whole time. Um, they're basic things. And, you know, if if you go into halftime at 17-5 or 17-7, you never know. It's it's a two-score game. But the moment he put his foot out into the touchline, it just seemed ominous. And, and clearly the Sam Whitelock try just meant that there was no chance that the Wallies were coming back. If Dave Rennie can take anything from that, it's the fact that they didn't actually stop fighting. They scored two tries there at the end. Um, midway through the second half, clearly with some some good work, good pressure from Nick Frost, um, great work from Pete Sarman to keep the ball alive and probably even better hands from Falau flying and hang on to it. But the the final try from Geordie uh, Pattaya, it, it gives a little bit of gravy, does nothing to really um, ease the loss. But guys like Geordie Pattaya in particular have to look at themselves and go, ah, is what they're doing good enough? He's a player that seems to, I don't know if he's down on confidence um, slightly. There was 
Uh, he, he spilled a very simple pass again at one stage, and the hands have always been a problem for Geordie since his um, his ascension to this Wallabies team at the 2019 World Cup. Um, the Tom Wright one, I want to go back to that, and, and foolishly, I didn't think of the question at the time, but it would have been a valid one to ask Dave Rennie on Saturday night. Um, has he been given the opportunity, sorry, the license to take a quick tap in that situation? Or is that purely just a brain explosion from a player who is very, um, I don't want to say scatty is the wrong word, but certainly plays with a lot of energy, um, wants to get, keep the game moving, play quickly. Um, because that from a what is a junior player in this side, to take a quick tap in that scenario, when, as you say, the play is very much to kick into within 10 metres of the line, kick to the corner, set up your rolling mall, which the Wallabies have a, a strong one, as we've seen that in the past, and even the ability to score when it gets stopped, as we saw in Melbourne. Um, it, it's an unfathomable decision at that point um, in the game, let alone at any point in the game, from a player that is, you know, just in his infancy within this squad. So I do wonder whether Dave or perhaps Wisey has said to him at some point, just get in there and, and just take a sneaky quick tap and catch them unawares because um, otherwise it's a complete and utter brain explosion, isn't it? It's a really good question. And uh, that's probably one of the issues when you've only got a few minutes when you're speaking to Dave post-game. But um, you're right. It's a, it, that, that is a bizarre decision what he took place. And I, I, I think... We've seen examples of that right throughout this rugby championship and even actually to England where Tom Wright in Brisbane was exceptional um, against the English, but it could have unraveled really badly there because there was a number of instances where he decided to play on quickly or rather than put boot to ball, which most fullbacks would do, decided to back himself. And look, he won a bit of praise by doing so, like Dave Dave Campisi is a bit admirer of him for doing just that, taking the game on. But regardless, I don't think that Dave Rennie is telling a player like Tom Wright to, to, you know, when you're already down, when you're already struggling a little bit, when you've only just got back to 15 men, when you've got a yellow, had a yellow card only 10 minutes earlier, I don't think the play there at any circumstances to play on quickly. What about Christy? I, I, we probably can park Saturday night there. I think, as you mentioned, we, we, we covered the game. There were a couple of late Wallabies tries that at least, sorry, one more point. Well, well Sam, before we move on, is there, is there, and one Wallaby messaged me this, who there left with their socks up? And I, I think the only two players really that can say that they did were Pete Samu and, and Rob Valentine. I can't, I can't see anyone, you know, Harry Wilson gave it a good crack. But I can't see anyone there right across the board who's is, left with their stocks up. You know, even Andrew Kellaway, there's a spilt ball there. He did some good things, I think. But, you know, as did Bernard Foley, but the defence was a real issue. I think Jake Gordon probably defensively had a really good crack for the first 45, 48 minutes, but then gets subbed off. There are not many leave Eden Park there with their with their stocks up. No, you and I spoke about this yesterday when we were preparing for this pod, and, and I agree. I found it very hard to give you know anyone other than than Pete Samo a, a six, and probably Valentini. Um, well, it was one of his quieter games. I think he was still, I think, second best behind Samo in that regard. And when you look at Valentini's body of work. Um, throughout both the England series and the rugby championship, then he's 
he's probably very close to making a, a, a back row uh, of the tournament, you would have to say, although uh, the young Argentine at number six and Artie Sevilla at number eight, perhaps there's some way in there that you fit him. He's certainly in a 23, if not starting. But Pete Samu, I guess that's one of the big positives from this tournament through Michael Hooper's withdrawal. We've learned a little bit more about Pete Samu so often or for so long pigeonholed as an impact player off the bench who perhaps suits these looser style of games because he does like to hang out wide and in the tram tracks, but he's actually proven that he can play tighter. Um, we think of that break in, in Melbourne last week when he went up the middle of the field, um, he stepped in and threw the line out on the weekend and, and worked a play at the front that almost resulted in a try. I think that was in the lead up to the, the Corin Betty foot in touch. So there's a, there's a silver lining from uh, the last few weeks you would have to say, but you're right. It was, the other Wallabies in the 23 on Saturday night, you know, it was very hard to give any of them a, a pass mark. And um, it was a really, really disappointing end. Um, you know, not that we've uh, we've come to expect anything else from trips to, to Eden Park and that one that you and I were at a few years ago when you've seen something like that and you've you've seen how the ground is and, and how the crowd are, you know, just a, it's a black wave. Uh, visiting teams are encircled by that um, you've got to think whether, you know, Australia will ever win there again. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I mean, the rugby championship on the whole, it finishes, you know, they finished third um, with, with uh, two wins and, and four defeats. Um, you think of the, yeah, the blowout loss in Argentina, the fairly listless display next door here where I am today at the Fox Studios offices here at the new Alliance on what was meant to be a, a historic and motivating night. Um, and then the weekend um, with the only outlier being that dramatic loss in, in Melbourne. Um, how do you rate it overhaul? Oh, sorry. Overall, it's clearly not a pass mark. Is it a, is it a four out of 10? Is it a three out of 10? Um, and, and when you reflect further back into the England series lost two one and, and dropping the last three matches on, the spring tour um there's a real kind of you know narrative um emerging here around this wallabies team that they just can't get the get the chocolates and clearly number one as well as their indiscipline ill discipline is the fact that they um they can't string back-to-back games together which dave has only done sorry this wallabies team under dave rennie has only done on one occasion and that was with those five straight wins through the back half of the rugby championship and then over japan last year yeah, and, ja- and James Slipman touched upon that, didn't he, on, on Saturday evening where he said, look, the confidence is still there, but we're not going to get anywhere in a World Cup if we can't string back-to-back texts together. So he's, he's well and truly aware of it. He's cognizant of it. Dave Rennie's surely cognizant of it as well. I, I found his remark a little bit surprising regarding discipline, what can be done there, and he said selection. Um uh, and kind of left it at that. Um, clearly, selection can sort out things at times, but you're, you're the bloke who's supposed to be getting this, these selections right, aren't you? Um, look, where does the, the TRC rank? I think it's, I think it's probably a four, um, probably a C plus, maybe given that you know the adversity that they faced with Quade Cooper's injury, followed by, you know, and preceded by Michael Hooper's withdrawal. Like Semi Krebi, yeah. Samu Karebi not playing a minute in it. I think you can't underestimate those sorts of things. They're three world-class players. They're three players that slot in there every day of the week at 7, 10 and at uh, at 12. And I think Karevi was the biggest loss there. We we saw Bernard Foley manage to put a couple of performances together. Likewise, Noah Lolasio, the confidence, sorry, the the accuracy, maybe not there always, particularly probably from the defensive point of view, but 
really tough ask to come in with no rugby on the back of four or five months they're here basically um it's it's a really important spring tour coming up right now Dave Rennie's got the support of of the board he's got the support of the chairman um I made mention of of Dan Herbert four years ago saying to me that we've got to get away from the coach being the issue and the immediate outrage and go well what are some of the other issues because is Ewan McKenzie a bad coach is Michael Checker a bad coach is Eddie Jones a bad coach these guys have proven that they're not bad coaches so what's going on here um I think injury is a big thing. There's been more and more questions around the strength and conditioning programs. My understanding is one's already gone from his own choosing, but um, Dean Benton is likely to to depart and not have his contract renewed. We've clearly seen Matt Taylor pushed out the back door from a defensive point of view, Laurie Fisher coming in. There's been a lot of change. Now it's about stability. It's about building and it's about building every week and you go for the detail and that's something that Laurie Fisher is very very good at is the detail and he doesn't cut corners so I like to think that the next five tests and there's there's still a lot of test match rugby to be played this year is going to be hugely important for setting some of the foundations getting some of the players right and more than anything for Dave Rennie I think working on his selection and making sure he gets that bang on before we look ahead both to the Australia A tour to uh, Japan and then the spring tour, as you mentioned, let's let's put a bow on the wider rugby championship, I guess. Uh, won by New Zealand, uh, obviously that that big big win, that 26-point win over the Wallabies going a long way to secure that as they entered the weekend with, I think, about a, must have been then a 13-point start on the spring box. Um, they they win the title uh, despite all the, the talk this year and, and the home loss to Argentina and... Um, it could have been a very different final round had we not had the drama in Melbourne uh, last weekend, clearly. Um, are they a better team than South Africa at this point, looking ahead to the World Cup? Um, are they are they now, have they got their ducks in a row, so to speak, New Zealand, the All Blacks? Um, I mentioned Joe Smith's impact on their attack. I think it really, sta- well, it's clearly not, you know, where it could be just yet because he's only been in the job a few games, but... Um, that Will Jordan try it had a very kind of Irish look at that sweeping kind of multiple ball runners with the ability to play out the back or um, <clears throat> excuse me at the line. Um, Ian Foster, he's clearly he's got the backing now. He's done his job. He's won you know the Bledisloe and Rugby Championship. I get just as he did last year, and we saw what happened earlier this year. So um, I, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the rankings today, but I would imagine South Africa is still um, ahead of them. Um, uh, who's the better side there, do you think, right now? Great question. Well, you, you consider that the All Blacks managed to win at, uh, at Ellis Park there, so they've won one from two away. That's not a bad effort when you go into the Republic to win a game there. Um, you know, On that logic, you can potentially say New Zealand. Clearly, they've won the rugby championship. Um, that, I would think, if it's a World Cup semi-final right now, who would be more confident or who would be have that game plan that they go, no, this is how we're going to play. These are the players that we're going to play. I think South Africa are ahead from that perspective. Um, it could be a World Cup quarterfinal between those two next year. Yeah, in, indeed. So there's a lot at stake here. Um, I'm, from an Australian perspective, thrilled that the Wallabies aren't on a 
a draw which features France, Ireland, New Zealand, and South Africa on that side. Good luck. Um, but World rugby, I mean, of all the decisions they're making at the moment or the lack of decisions on an activity on some points, surely this farcical um, policy where, or not policy, but set up where they have the World Cup draw, was it done, what, two and a half years out or something this time around with the with the rankings done, the way yeah, they were? At the end of 2020, it was done, I think. Three years out before the tournament. How ridiculous. And, and you know, as a rugby fan, you want to see, you know, certainly the the four best quarters and I think the four best teams, sorry, in the semifinals. But the reality is that the way the rankings are at the moment, and unless there is some significant improvement from those on the other side of the draw, that we're, we're probably not going to get that. You're right. You make a point, but... Let's not forget that that nations at times have the habit of peaking outside of the World Cup year. Hello, and, Ireland. Uh, hello, Ireland. Sorry to remind you, Catherine Murphy. Um, but that's you know, we, we're going to see an English side coached by Eddie Jones, which will be formidable next year, I think. Um, clearly, the Wallabies aren't there at the moment. They're number nine in the rankings. That's that's unfathomable. When you think about you know, the fact that Robbie Dean's managed to have the Wallabies at number two for so, so long, it, it goes and it goes to show that the, the man could coach and that, yes, he had a good side and he had the likes of Pocock and George Smith at times, um, a really, really fit, young, adventurous team with the Bills and the Coopers and the O'Connors coming through the system. Um, maybe not the forward pack that is currently in existence, I think, but um, particularly the tight five. But this this Wallaby side has a lot to grow, and 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 James Slipper spoke about that very point. The fact that so many have been blooded, and and this isn't me trying to make excuses for this side, but I think that in a year's time, if Dave Rennie can get his selection right, the Wallabies are actually in a pretty good shot to give it a good crack. And it's not just because of the draw. You know, we, we've already seen the Wallabies manage to beat the Springboks, beat the English this year, beat Argentina away from home, missing half a dozen of first-choice players. Um, We've we've seen them push the All Blacks right into the end at Melbourne. So the side has the potential to be playing well, but at the moment, consistency is its biggest Achilles heel, greatest Achilles heel. And until they resurrect that, they'll have no chance at the World Cup. And Dave mentioned that on Saturday night, didn't he? He said when you look at it from a World Cup perspective, um, you know, particularly when you get to the knockout phase, that uh, if you're not don't have the ability to string um, consecutive wins together. You're not going to go very far. And right now at the moment, if I think if Australia and Argentina were to play in a quarterfinal, that's a, that's an even money game. Um, yeah. Argentina behind England. That's if we expecting pool uh, C to go the way it is or pool D. I can't remember whether the Wallabies and Wales are and Fiji for that matter, pool C or D and Argentina, England and, uh, around the other way. There you go. Um, so yeah. Um, going back to, Stuart, Stuart Barnes made a really great point in a, a column for the Times on the weekend where he said, <clears throat> perhaps for the first time, it won't be the best 15 that wins you a, a World Cup. And arguably, you could say that the Springboks' 23 did <clears throat> in 2019. But I, I, he, he made the point that for the first time ever, a, a real squad is going to have to beat win you a World Cup with the amount of concussions that are coming through, with the fact that it rules you out for so long. Uh, you you need two squads. You need three tens that can that can really um, lead you around the park. Because for, for now, like 
you look at this Wallaby side, you look at even what's happened with the All Blacks a week ago where they lose Sam Kane, Dalton Papalili for to concussions. We saw that against the Springboks with Australia and Sydney where Noel Lucia and Hunter Pimesami get ruled out. In past World Cups, and, and maybe not so much in the recent one or two, but particularly in, in World Cups gone by, a lot of players probably shouldn't have been playing that were playing. So having strengthened squads is so important. And that's where France really stands out, I think. Ireland, to uh, a lesser extent, given that they've got such a huge importance and their whole team and attack is focused by one person being Johnny Sexton, that is still the big question for Ireland going forward, is what happens if a, a Johnny Sexton's not there? Because the rest of the squad is a strong one. Yeah, Ireland, South Africa, uh, clearly going to be one of the games of the pool phase. Uh, now, I think it's about 348 days as of uh, recording today to the World Cup. So uh, so can't wait uh, for that all to kick off. Um, back to the Wallabies, we mentioned uh, the Australia A Tour of Japan, three, te- sorry, three games uh, in back-to-back weeks, Saturday, Saturday, Friday, I think it is, between Tokyo, Osaka and somewhere else. Um, it's an interesting mix of players in that squad. I think it's about um, eight or nine Wallabies guys who've seen time uh, this year. Uh, we Both you and I had a chuckle around the Darcy Swain stuff last week. Um, bit of creative accounting, perhaps, uh, for want of a better expression there to get him into that squad and then uh, have him serve his band. So he won't actually be playing. Um, there's, there's a lot to be gained uh, from that tour and certainly a number of players there who, who have been short on, on rugby. You think of your, your Lockie Lonigans and, and even Nick Frost who's had a couple of games off the bench. And I think that one start against England and he's a player I want to see more of. Um, it, it, it's, uh, they're going to be three, you know, I mean, Japan, it's a Japan 15. So I'm not sure exactly the strength, whether it will be, you know, perhaps their their absolute um, pick of their their brave blossoms um, players, perhaps not, but um, valuable exposure. Uh, and Tom Banks, as you mentioned, uh, a really uh, interesting name, but well explained by Dave Rennie on Saturday night, saying that effectively he's still under contract with Rugby Australia through to uh, December 31 this year. So that's why he's been picked on this tour. And I guess by the sounds of that is is a genuine chance to go on to Europe thereafter. Um, how do you see uh, both the, I guess let's start with Australia, right? What are, you, what are you hoping or what do you think that um, not only those players, but the Wallabies as a whole can get out of that tour? I think more than anything, it's the Australia A program is hugely important for the Super Rugby franchises because it allows them, without the NRC um, in operation, it allows 30-odd players to come together and a number of them are playing together. But more than anything, they should be able to upskill over the next couple of months by playing more and more rugby. So I think from just a very simplistic perspective, it's great for the Super Rugby franchise. It's great for Australian rugby. When you look from a high-performance perspective and you go from a Wallabies perspective, who has the potential of of coming into consideration for Test Rugby? Yeah, Tom Banks is probably the real standout person there, as well as Nick Frost. They're the two that you go, they can play at a World Cup. I, I haven't... It's going to be hugely fascinating to see what Dave Rennie does about his three picks next year from a kiddo, kiddo law, overseas eligibility law perspective. Because if you can only have three at this moment, if they're fit, you're picking Karevi Cooper and Marika Corabetti and potentially a Bernard Foley at four. And that doesn't even bring in a Rory Arnold into the equation. I, 
I find it hard to believe that they're going to just stop short at three. Um, you know, you, you think about even guys like Brandon Payeringer-Ramosa, who's really well suited, who's won a, a, a top 14 title with Montpellier, um, someone who's pretty good on the ball as well. I, I, I reckon you could see five or six guys that come right into the equation there and they may be stretched out to five. Um, but, but Banks is a curious one because if you're not playing him at next year's World Cup, then Jock Campbell should be wearing the 15 jersey and he should be playing for three matches. And he should, by all reports, is coming into the consideration from all of his perspective. But if you've got Tom Banks in that squad, he's not going to be playing 15 for three matches. And that's the long and the short of it. Guys like Ben Donaldson, Tane Edmund, big opportunities for them as well. And I think it's great to see Max Johansson, um, Jorgensen, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. Jorgensen. Jorgensen, as well as as um, as the Teddy Wilson in there. I think it's good to be have, have these younger guys who have clearly got huge potential because let's not forget James O'Connor made his debut in Super Rugby at 17, 18 as a Wallabies player. Um, Quade Cooper's similar sort of ages, Kurtley Beale's similar ages. Guys with huge potential can actually play. It's about harnessing and it's about making sure that their foundations are set. So to have him on a tour like this, I think is great. People keep asking, uh, it's the, you know, when every squad's announced or certainly through the rugby championship just gone, when is Suliasi Vinavalo going to get a game? Where they're clearly paying big money, uh, signing him again for next year, earlier in the year to keep him around for the World Cup. Yet, aside from, I think it was about 90 seconds in the third test, was it? Um, he touched the ball maybe once in yeah, Sydney two, against two England. Yeah, two and a half. Two touches. One getting the ball in the air, which would have allowed them to have another scrum, had it, had it had time to set, but it went up to 80 minutes. And then obviously just nearly getting on the outside of Owen Farrell from the sweeping play inside their own 22. So this is clearly a big opportunity for him as well. You would think that he'll get, you would hope, certainly two cracks on the right wing. Uh, and then that, you know, if he plays um, to the level we think he he can, and and certainly it's been a very softly, softly approach from Dave Rennie and the rest of the, the Wallabies selectors around kind of this idea of of repeat efforts and repeat speed efforts and, and everything that you want to see from your winger. But on the back of Tom Wright's, I guess, indifferent, display on the weekend and I, I think we know what player Tom Wright is we know what Australia are going to get from him um, but it's a bit of the case of the Will Skelton factor from last year's spring tour which you and I were completely confused about is that um, without giving these players a start you're never going to learn anything about them so for Japan this trip for for Sulde you would think is going to be critical um, a real chance to to show his ways and then potentially you know get a chance against a team like Scotland, who, you know, I think he would perform really well against. Um, otherwise, the name I just mentioned, Will Skelton, is he in the frame to come in again? This this massive uncertainty around this, this locking contingent that Australia has. Uh, Isaac Rodder hasn't been cited all year with that foot injury. Um, there's another name. But, but Skelton, apart from a couple of 15-minute appearances off the bench last year, again, I don't think the Wallabies really learns whether this guy who has been nominated for the European player of the year a few times since he's been overseas um, was part of La Rochelle's winning team, clearly um, whether he's got the game to play at test level or that purely is a top 14 and a European style of rugby. Um, we just don't know whether, you know, Will Skelton is a legitimately a test option. It's a great question, Sam. Um, and what, what drives me crazy is that 
and, and perhaps it's the, the naivety of a journalist, uh, but it drives me crazy thinking that a bloke who wins the top 14, who's been not just won a, um, a European Championship Cup with La Rochelle, but also done it with Saracen, isn't considered to be good enough to go straight into a test program. I, I can't understand it. You know, they, they, they will tell us that conditioning-wise, they're off the pace for test standard. I think, well, you, you guys are bonkers, in my opinion, that you don't consider this guy. Yes, he might not have the the um, the repeat efforts or be able to get up the deck, all the various tests that they do at training to determine how good this person is and how great a shape they're in. But at, every now and again, sports science has got to be thrown out because we see players who, you know, I spoke to a, a, a couple of Wallabies last week who said Todd Ikefu and George Smith, the two worst trainers that they've ever seen. Two George worst. Smith, legendary, horrific trainer, George Smith. And and similarly, Todd Ikefu, but probably because George Smith is George Smith, always hogs those headlines. But, uh, but you, you, you're not telling me that you're not picking a guy because he doesn't train well enough. And and that's a Suli Bunavalu. That's the case with Suli Bunavalu. From my understanding, he took a massive haircut, half the pay um, to, to sign, re-sign for this 2023 year. So he's gone from probably seven to 750 down to close to 400, a tick under. Um, that, that's a huge haircut. So it's not just a case of a bloke who's wanting to, to play, you know, go go back to the NRL afterwards. Like he wants to play rugby, he wants to be at a World Cup and fair play to him. But this guy could do anything, I think, on the right wing. You know, we've seen it in limited touches. We've seen the extreme pace, the express pace. We've seen him bump away plays from the Blues and score tries at Eden Park. We've seen him score tries in quarterfinals of Super Rugby matches and do things that no one else could do on the Super Rugby field there. Yet, sorry, you're not good enough to play international rugby. It It, it is my biggest gripe at the moment around that attitude. We've seen Rory Arnold get more than a handful of opportunities. And Rory Arnold's a grafter. He's not the sort of guy that's going to absolutely tear up upfield, make a huge run through the middle. He's the sort of guy that loves the in tight stuff, particularly around a rolling more, generally really good at a set piece. But Will Skelton can do something that few other players can in world rugby. I can't understand why there's this huge hesitation and reluctance to to throw him out there to see, to sink or swing. Because you know what? By seeing guys like, and, and this is the, the really harsh, brutal truth to it, seeing guys like Matt Phillip go around every week, we know what Matt Phillip can provide. And he won't let you down. He'll do everything he can. But can he get, turn a game? Maybe at a line out he can, but around the park he can't. But Will Skelton could. I think you've got enough depth and height in the back row to accommodate him. And and if La Rochelle and if Saracens can get him into the nick that they have um, to get him to become a world-class player, Look at yourselves, guys, and pick him. If Michael Hooper comes back, um, and we're not sure, Dave Rennie said uh, he will tell us just exactly what the plan is with, with Hoops in the next couple of weeks, but by the all reports, he's feeling a lot better about things, uh, which is great, number one. Um, but given what we've seen from, from Samu and perhaps this that bigger back row that did look quite threatening in Melbourne before Rob Liotta went off, is there a position now that, or is there a, a thought now that Michael Hooper's position in the starting side, if he is to come back, is that under threat? 
It could be, and it's been the long-held question. Um, it, it may well be. Look, I don't. If he comes back, I don't expect him to be captain again. Yep. He might be a co-captain, but I know that there's been a huge reluctance and hesitance for that to be entertained in the past. Um, but he'll be an on-field lead regardless. So, captaincy aside, is he good enough to be in that that at 15? Yes. Is he good enough to be in the 23? Certainly. I, I can't see a huge issue if he comes off the bench to begin with. And that's, in fact, where I would have him to come off. Um, but Pete Sander deserves more opportunities. And whether or not that's at six or seven, I think seven, um, if you're going to play him in a, in a, in a team there with, with, um, with Rob Valentini there and Harry Wilson, I think he complements you really well. Um, could you have him and Michael Hooper? I'm not sure. I'm not certain. I don't think it's quite big enough. Um, it's a good question. But I, I think that Michael Hooper probably is world-class, has proved it for long enough. But I think he would, I, I would have him come off the bench before bringing him into a starting side. Seems like and it. May, and maybe that answers itself in, in the time to come to see where exactly Michael Hooper is. And he, you know, he's clearly going to be underdone. Um, you know, he won't have the match fitness. So perhaps that is the best scenario that are in these opening tests against uh, Scotland uh, and then France. That's the best um, situation if it if he does come back, and which we we think he probably will. Um, all right, mate. To finish off a, a, a question um, without notice, a player of the rugby championship uh, from across the board, uh, I find probably pretty tough to to split the two. Hookers, Malcolm Marks and Samasoni Tokeyaho, for me, um, I think had both phenomenal tournaments. And it's amazing to think how often Malcolm Marks comes off the bench for the Springboks. Um, and also we'd give a shout out to the young uh, number six from from Argentina, um, who I thought has uh, has been a real fine for for Michael Checker. Yeah, this is a question without notice. And I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain to go, mm, where, who? Um, look... There's something about Sam Whitelock that just makes me think this guy is Mr. Rugby. He is the sort of bloke that never lets you down. Um, I, I loved what he did over the last two tests, but even against South Africa, he was the sort of bloke that lifted. I'm going to go Sam Whitelock. I think it's rare that you see a second role where you just go, mm, this guy is just doing it and doing the business. Um I think he's been brilliant. The two hookers are great shouts. I think Buffelli from Argentina was very, very excellent. Good as well, excellent tournament. Yep. So if I was to put those three, um, a player from each, I'd go Malcolm Mark, Sam Whitelock, Buffelli, and, and Pete Samu. Um, I, I think. Yeah, Juan Martin Gonzalez, the name that I was looking there for, for an Argentina side that probably uh, performed above expectations. Of course, that historic win in uh, in New Zealand and, and beating the Wallabies at home, and and in both those games against South Africa, they were right in it with with fifteen minutes to play, but um, hurt by some some later indiscipline. And I think uh, what was it four yellow cards uh, on um, on Saturday night in Durban, which is uh, you know Wallabies areas, but. Um, Anyway, uh, all right, mate, thank you uh, for another week. It's been a, uh, a really, really strong uh, and fascinating time for for um, for the Rugby Championship, uh, engaging on all fronts, plenty to talk about week after week. Um, there's some certainly some concerns around the state of rugby in general, I think, across the world right now. Um, the spectacle, and, and Dave Rennie mentioned that on, on Saturday night about the product that's being, being dished up, but um, it's certainly good for you and I because it gives us plenty to talk about. Yeah, I think actually probably the best rugby championship in its in its history, I think. Um, 
I, I didn't mind the, the concept of the tour. And I still think, though, for world rugby, would love to see, and I would love to see, a, a more of a shift to a five or a six nations with the inclusion of, of Fiji and Japan. I think it would have added a lot to it, um, a lot of variety to it. It would have bring different cultures into, into the play. Um, and nor do I think the high performance would be necessarily a, a massive drop off. So lots to consider over, over the coming months. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be uh, probably a little break for the next few weeks. But uh, when we see a spring tour squad or, or something, perhaps uh, a big talking point around like a Michael Hooper return, we'll be back online. So thanks everyone for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon.